the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. I can only hope that everybody didn't tune out when they heard the music going for about nine minutes. I'm sorry for the technical problems. You don't know what's going on. But I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And I am here live. We're late, but we're live. And this is the Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. All you need to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email your questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com where you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app at the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and everything else will be handled by our studio producer. I get thrown into confusion when there's nobody there. So let's get started. I'll go right to some questions that we have. I uh, hope you had a great Labor Day yesterday. Uh, we did. We had a, had a wedding of a, a young girl that actually grew up in our church. She's been here her whole life, and uh, she got married yesterday. I felt really, really old yesterday, but had a really, really great time. Hope you had a great day off as well. Here is an anonymous question from our email inbox, the first one of the day, and it says, uh, Your opinion is important to me. What do you think of the TV show The Chosen? It has drawn me closer to Jesus because of the portrayal of Jesus and his disciples. The extra, in quotes, not in the Bible content does not bother me as it's not a stumbling block. It makes me go back to the Gospels to review each story. What do you think? You know, based on your response, Anonymous, I I just think it's great. Um, Anything that gets you to go back into the Gospels and reviewing the stories is wonderful. And, um, you know, the extra you put in quotes, not in the Bible content, um, um, you know, that's just dramatic license. Now, I've only seen the first season. Um, I don't I don't pay for it. So I, I, I when they put it on for free, I watched the first season and I liked it as well. 
Um, you know, I, I was a little troubled at first by the portrayal of Peter as a gambler and, and uh, um, Matthew especially as um, um, on the autism spectrum. I don't think any of that's necessary, but I really do believe that the, the uh, exchanges between Jesus and his disciples are really, really good. And I think on the important things... I think this story is faithful to the gospel account. So if uh, you like it, and obviously you're able to discern um, uh, the extra not-in-the-Bible content, uh, I think it's great for you. And especially if you keep going back to the Gospels to review the stories, I would continue to watch it and be blessed. I'm actually looking forward to uh, watching the second season. Now, I'm not very technically inclined. That's the understatement of the world. Um, so I'm I'm not sure how to watch it. The only reason I was able to watch the first uh, half is somebody sent me a link, and I was able to get it. And they were showing them, you know, one after another, and so I'd watch one a day for a while. But that was a very long time ago now. But I'm looking forward to it as well. So anonymous, keep watching and keep reading your Bible. I think that's perfect. That's perfect. Good questions. Here is a question from Abe, and he says, What do Muslims do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Uh, Abe, um, they deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, Flatly stated, they just deny it. Um, You know, many Muslims say it wasn't Jesus that was crucified. Uh, In the first place, it was Simon of Cyrene. There are others who just simply... Uh, just say, no, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and it's just something that they turn a blind eye to. And it's because they want to. You know, um, Muslims um, uh, don't want to deal with the fact that Jesus was the Son of God. They um, they would say revere Jesus as a true prophet of God. Um, and, and we know that that's a demotion. So um, um, to, to deny the deity of Jesus Christ, of course, um, puts them in a category of real danger. So they just say the resurrection didn't happen. Uh, and and of his brutal death, they would say, no, no, it was Simon of Cyrene uh, and not Jesus Christ. So, um, Abe, that's the way Muslims deal with it. But like everything else, when your heart is hard, when you don't want to believe something and won't look at the facts, that's exactly uh, where you end up in places like that. Marty asks, Pastor Ron, if God is omnipresent, how can he not be in the presence of sin? You know, Marty, when, when Christians say things, we need to be a little more careful of the, these little trite sayings that we have. You know, uh, God is so holy, he can't be in the presence of sin. You're, you're right. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. What that means, Marty, is that God cannot be in fellowship with anybody in sin. We shut him out, literally, the work that he wants to do in our lives, we're un- he's unable to do because of our sin. And so God simply makes a choice as he essentially turned his back on Jesus when Jesus became sin. Fellowshipping uh, is completely cut off uh, when we are in sin, when our sin is unrepentant. So it's not that God can't be in the presence of sin. Jesus, you'll remember descended in lower parts of the earth. He was in the presence of of those who are forever being tormented. So it's not that he can't literally be in the presence of sin. It just means that that we have no avenue to fellowship with him, and the result is the same for us individually as though um, 
his his presence uh, has no value for us simply because we shut him out with sin. You know, Marty, one of the things that, that always fascinates me is we know the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, he is also the Holy Spirit, omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. We know all of those things, and yet we humans have the ability to grieve the Holy Spirit or to quench the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do. So only our free will choice to sin and then refuse to repent can shut God out of our lives. It's not that he's not there. The Holy Spirit living in us, especially if we're already Christians, uh, the Holy Spirit living in us is always trying to knock at the door of our heart and trying to get our attention. But if we're not going to listen, then the net result is as though we were shut out of the presence of God, that that he could have no fellowship with us at all. So, Marty, that's all that means. God is omnipresent, you're right, and God is everywhere. Uh, But there are times when our fellowship with God or his presence has no value for us at all. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I was hoping hoping not everybody tuned away when, when we had the delay at the beginning. Uh, Iris says, God knows everything, so how can God say, say depart from me, for I never knew you? Uh, Iris, there's a question similar to the last one. Um, when God says, I never knew you, it doesn't mean he doesn't know about you. I think the same thing is true for Christians. You know, we all know about Jesus. I, When I give invitations to people who are coming to church, I always say, you know, uh, you know about Jesus or you wouldn't be here. But the question is, do you know him? Or are you known by him? When Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you, he was talking to people who really believed that they had a leg up on God. You know, they were Jews. They kept the law. They were sons of Abraham. That was their claim over and over and over. But the reality is that Jesus never knew them in a way of fellowship, in a way of relationship. And religion is never a way to be known by God. Religion actually cuts us away from God. And that's why I don't like the word religion or religious. Because people think, well, I'm a religious person, so I'm okay with God. You're not. Religion separates us from God. That's what was happening with Jesus' enemies. I mean, they claimed to belong to God, but they killed God. So think about that for a moment. So God says, I never knew you in a relational way. And of course, the only way that we can have access to God the Father is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But that requires a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes religious people get offended when we say things like, you have to have a personal relationship or or you must be born again. And the reality is those are the essentials. Apart from personal relationship with Jesus, our sin is still unforgiven. And that means we've lost all access to, to the Father and, and we have no ability to go to heaven. I think about the the um, um, veil in the temple that was torn from top to bottom upon Jesus' death. And especially the the Levites who would be working in the temple, those who, who had temple duty, um, you know, they would be, they'd work in the holy, um, the, the, the holy place and, and in the outer courts. Um, they would, they would uh, take, tend the, the, uh, the holy place, but, but nobody could ever go into the holy of holies except the high priest and that only once a year. And what would happen, Iris, is 
that as they would be working there on that day and as the temple veil was torn from top to bottom, as it would fall open for the very first time ever, the Holy of Holies would be exposed and they would think, we're going to die. We can't see the Holy of Holies. But that was Jesus' announcement that now access to God, access to my Father has been completed. When Jesus said, it is finished and that veil tore, well, that is when our access to God was guaranteed. So, um, Iris, it's all about relationship and it has nothing to do with religion. And when Jesus said that to the religious leaders, he was telling them basically, I have no idea who you are. And he knew who they were in the physical realm. But what he's talking about is, I don't know you because of sin. So thank you for the question. Carl wants to know, how will people get saved in the Great Tribulation since the Holy Spirit will not be there. Um, Carl, people are going to get saved the same way. And remember, I just said to another question, the Holy Spirit is also um, omnipresent, and he's going to be there. Uh, when when uh, Paul writes about the restrainer, the restraining work of the Holy Spirit, he's not talking about the person of the Holy Spirit be taken away. He's talking there about the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers in the life of the church, will no longer be there because the church is going to be gone. But during the Great Tribulation, the Holy Spirit is still going to be convicting people of sin, of righteousness and judgment. They're still going to be, uh, he's still going to be pointing them to Jesus. And um, that's the only way we can get saved. We have no capacity, either before or after the Great Tribulation, we have no capacity to believe on our own. Only the Holy Spirit can quicken us to life. And that same thing is going to happen. And in fact, Carl, in the Great Tribulation, it will be the greatest, the, the by far, the, the biggest revival in the history of the world. So committed will these people be to their newfound faith in Jesus Christ that they're going to die for it. And that's something that we have to remember always. So he's going to be there, the Holy Spirit is. It's just that his presence in the church and the context there, as Paul is writing to the churches in Thessalonica, he's saying that that the church, the Holy Spirit in the church is now restraining evil. Now, we might look around and think, well, it doesn't look like we're restraining evil. To me, it looks like the world and evil is winning. But the reality is that if we weren't here, if, if the salt and light that Jesus talks about Christians uh, that we're supposed to be. Uh, if we were here, it would be so much darker. And instantly when the light goes out, and I mean that and when the rapture happens and, and the light goes out, there is going to be complete and utter evil, darkness prevailing in the world. And uh, there are going to be people then who start to get saved. People, uh, I imagine at the beginning will be people who, who had been in church. They knew about the rapture, but they didn't believe it. They just sort of discounted it. And um, um, they're going to know, I, I missed. I, I, I really messed up and missed out. And um, they will begin telling people about Jesus and people are going to get saved. So that's exactly how it's going to work. Um, so, Carl, I hope that encourages you a little bit. Here is a question from Regina. No? Or, Check. Oh, here? Mm -hmm. 
Okay, I've got a call from Ron in Converse. He called and left it. What's Pastor Ron's definition of repentance? Uh, he has heard some say that it's turning away from disbelief, but he has heard others say that repentance is simply stop sinning. He'd like to know Pastor Ron personally defines repentance. Um, Ron, uh, the, 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 the definition of repentance, literally, it's a U-turn. Sin is to miss the mark. Repentance is finding the mark again. So it's a U-turn. I want you to think about Saul of Tarsus. Um, he, he he was zealous, believed he was serving God, but he was running after Christians to kill them, to put them in prison. Um, um, and, and Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and, and literally, in appearing to Paul, or to Saul, now Paul, um, he just turned him around. And, and from that moment, sent Paul running the other way. So, Sin is running away from Jesus. Repentance is running to Jesus. It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart. So it's acknowledging that you are a sinner. It's not enough to say, oh, I feel so bad about myself. I'm a sinner. You've got a purpose in your heart to stop sinning. I say you can come to Jesus any way that you, you are. He'll accept you the way you are, but you can't stay there. We have to come to him on his terms. So repentance is simply a U-turn in life. We have all these turnarounds here in Texas on the on the highways, uh, and that's what repentance is. You missed your 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 turn. Well, the next exit, there's a turnaround. All you gotta do is go the other way, and you're gonna find your way home. Well, that's exactly what repentance is. So uh, th- there's nothing magical or mystical about it at all. It's simply, um, I'm a sinner. I want to stop sinning. Jesus, I can't do that on my own. I need to come to you. Come into my heart. So that's what repentance is. Luke chapter 15, the famous prodigal uh, son parable. Um, He came to his own mind, laying in the pigsty. And he realized that even the servants in my father's house are better off than I am. And he got up out of the pigsty and went home. That's what repentance is. It's nothing more mystical than that at all. So Ron, don't let anybody make it difficult. Um, It's not turning away from disbelief at all. It's just a change in direction, a change in life. Thank you for calling in, Ron. I appreciate it very, very much. Hey, we've got 30 minutes, and I trust we're going to be here the whole 30 minutes this half of the program. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life, and I'll be back in two minutes. Don't have time to call into the Word to Stand On for Life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. I told you we'd be back. We made it, praise the Lord. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for the call. You are on the air. 
beginning of the show was kind of like having the rewind button on the TV. <laughs> <laughs> I always wish oh. I had, like, static rewind I could just carry around with me. <laughs> My goodness. So, so I, we... I'm calling us. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. It says, In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. Now, this is the part that I'm calling about. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised and perishable, and we will be changed. Now, the point I'm, I'm talking about is the last trumpet. How many trumpets are there? Is there a trumpet that sounds before all the judgments? And why is this the last trump, trumpet? Because I didn't know if this had something to do with the rapture, so it couldn't be the last trumpet if it was the rapture, I would think. So, anyways, I'll let you unscramble all of this, and I'll listen on the radio. Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate it very, very much. You know, uh, this gives me an opportunity also. We are going to be talking this Friday night about the rapture of the church again. We we, we took last week, and we're doing it again uh, this week. Uh, and then I'm going to try to leave time for questions um, uh, at the at the end so, so that we can have... I, I just want people to really understand the rapture and get excited about Jesus coming back. So here's... The, and, and this is a question, Cindy, that I will get. Um, a lot of times people, the mid-tribbers or the pre-rathers, uh, they will say, well, you know, at the last trump, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 52... Uh, and and then you got the the seven trumpet judgments, and they believe that that seventh trumpet judgment is the last trump. Those are completely different things and have absolutely no connection one to another. Uh, the, this is a trumpet call of God to His church in First Corinthians fifteen fifty two. In the trumpet judgments, they are judgments from God on the world. And of course, we've been promised that we won't be. Uh, even at the place where where these judgments of God are poured out. So a trumpet call is simply, uh, in, in Hebrew, you know the shofars, the, the Hebrew um, culture is is just, it's a trumpet call. They, they have trumpet calls for different things. In our military, we have bugle calls, and we have taps, and we have things, and everybody knows what those things mean. Well, they would have sounds on the shofar, and they would be one be a call to readiness or one a call to move out and 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 um, uh, let's go to the next place um, and and this is just a call to readiness. So the last trumpet, what Paul is saying in First Corinthians fifteen fifty two, is there's no more warning after this judgment is coming. So be ready for it. And he's telling us that in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, and we know how fast that is. Um, um, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we who are still alive will be changed. And that's a Greek word, metamorpho. It means we'll be changed in substance. It'll be us. We'll still have physical bodies, but those bodies will be changed so that they will be like Jesus' glorious physical resurrected body. So that's what that is. And 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 First Corinthians fifteen, starting in fifty one. Um, makes no mistake, this is the rapture of the church. It is a mystery. The Greek word is mousterian. It means something that has not yet been disclosed. Uh, It's been hinted at throughout Scripture, but it's not been disclosed. He says, we will not all sleep or die, but we will all be changed. 
and when at the last trumpet in an instant the suddenness is overwhelming so cindy thank you for that and um, again for everybody out there on friday night now questions and answers are hard uh, on online so um I don't know that we can get all the questions that will be asked. So try to be here. Join us on Friday night, and we'll have a Q&A session um, last to, to close out our teaching on the rapture. Let's go to line two and talk with Nathan from San Antonio. Nathan, thanks for calling. You are on the radio. Um, hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Nathan. Nathan. <laughs> Uh, I I have a question about the Israelites. I was looking okay. at a, a map of I was looking at a map of Africa, and my question is, what city did they travel from Egypt to Canaan? What city did they travel from Canaan to Egypt, or, or from uh, Canaan to or from Egypt, Egypt to Canaan? Um, Nathan, if you've in your in your Bible book uh, maps, there is a map of the Exodus wilderness journey. And that's the, that's the route they, they have taken. And in, in your book, it will be pointed out there very clearly. Now, um, a lot of that is speculation. We're not exactly sure where all of the routes during the Israeli or the uh, Exodus wilderness was, but it's a pretty good guess based on pretty solid evidence and um, the one thing I know about it, and the, and the thing, Nathan, I think that is the most important for us to consider is that the trip from Egypt to Canaan should have taken 11 days. And instead, because of sin and disobedience, it took 40 years. Not only did it take 40 years, but all of those people, the, the first generation of, of Israelite adults, that left Egypt, all of them, because of unbelief, died in the wilderness except two. And you know who those two are, Joshua and Caleb. So um, I, I think the best thing for you to do, Nathan, is just go back to your, your book of maps and find the the exodus or the wilderness exodus, and it will give you a really good idea where that was. And basically, they went around in circles over and over and over. Um, because of unbelief, that first generation perished in the wilderness. Nathan, thank you very, very much. And just so you know, I always get nervous when you ask me questions about your map because I know how intently you study those maps. So God bless you, young man. Thank you very much. We love you. 340-9585. Those of you who don't know Nathan, um, he is... An unbelievably bright kid. Six years old. Um, He's got a memory that won't stop. He devours his Bible. He understands it. And he asks questions that are way beyond his years. I'm really proud of you, Nathan. Here is a question from Regina. She says, I heard there was a female apostle. Um, Regina, that comes from Romans 16, 7 where Paul, saying goodbye to people, says, Greet Andronicus and Hunias, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. So let me approach this from a couple of different directions. We know, first of all, 
um, no doubt that Andronicus and Hunius were Paul's relatives, and they, they actually served prison time with him. Now, Hunius is in the female form. That's the, the, the word. And it is assumed widely that she is a female. Um, but, but we're not sure that's true. It is unlikely that females would have been put in prison with Paul. Um, so um, what are you saying? Is there my relatives? Now, let me take a little jog yep. here, Regina. Um, I like to think about this. Um, you know, how long were Andronicus and Hunius, because they were saved before Jesus, how long did they pray for him? And when the church was being destroyed by Saul of Tarsus, they would have thought, this is my relative. They'd been on their knees praying for him. Oh, Lord, make him stop. Lord, save him. Whatever you have to do, Lord, bring him to faith in Jesus Christ. And so they would have imagined their rewards in heaven. Imagine their rewards. So we know that they were in jail with him. It makes it unlikely that Hunius is actually a female. Um, but at the same time, um, the, the possibility exists. Now, when it says they are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was, that doesn't mean they were outstanding apostles. That's not a statement that indicates that Andronicus and Hunius were apostles. So even if Hunius is a female, and by the way, just Regina, I take the position that, that she was. I think the, the language, uh, the, the evidence is, is weighed heavily in that favor. But it doesn't mean they were outstanding apostles. The language is very clear. They were outstanding among the apostles. And what that means is that they were known by the apostles, uh, appreciated by the apostles, and they were marked for their faithful service to the Lord. So when it says they're outstanding among the apostles, that doesn't mean you put all the apostles, line them up, and they were among the apostles. No, they were outstanding not apostles outstanding among the apostles. So, Regina, I hope that makes sense. There is no way that a female would have been an apostle. Um, leadership in the church, and these are Paul's letters himself, um, is, is always male. And that's not because men are smarter or men are more spiritual. Uh, nothing like that. Uh, it's just the way that... that God established it, and he has his reasons. Patriarchy has always been an important element of our scriptures. So not that she was an apostle, but she was outstanding. She was known to be outstanding by the apostles. I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Dennis. Oh, Dennis, you're not going to like my answer. Uh, Dennis says, I'm currently in a season of waiting on the Lord for direction. Any thoughts on how I may hear clearly? Yeah, Dennis, um, uh, and I'm not making light of your question at all. It's just that typically when people are in a season of waiting, it means that they're really not doing anything. And that is one way to be sure that you won't hear anything clearly at all. You know, we have all these spiritual terms, Dennis, for... Uh, the things we want to do. You know, I serve so much in this church and now I'm going to just take some time and wait on the Lord. There's no such thing as waiting on the Lord. We don't get time off. We don't get time off. People will say, but Pastor Ron, I need to be refreshed. Well, the way you're refreshed is being in the presence of Jesus. 
Paul said he was spent and willing to be spent. And the idea is, I got nothing less, but I'm giving it. So, uh, Dennis, um, I, I don't know why you're in a season of waiting, um, but, but Jesus isn't going to speak to you while you're doing nothing. The enemy is going to shout at you. Uh, he loves sitting ducks, sitting targets. But, um, but, but the Lord's not going to speak to your heart other than he's going to exhort you, encourage you, get up and get moving. And if you want my counsel on how to hear more clearly from the Lord uh, during this time, it's to serve him. Wherever you go to church, Dennis, serve. Be an usher. Clean the church. Um, um, hang around for prayer. Uh, but, but serve. Don't just sit and wait. That's not a, a thing. O- obedience. Acts 5.32 says obedience is the trigger for the power of the Holy Spirit. And as long as you're doing nothing, you're contributing nothing, and the Holy Spirit is sort of on the outside saying, hey, I got a lot of stuff for you. Let's get busy. So um, I don't know what it means. I wish we Christians wouldn't speak Christianese. Um, if you're tired, say, I'm tired. If you if you uh, were taken advantage of by, by a, a church uh, or, or people maybe worked you to the fingers and your uh, bones in your fingers, um, just, just say, well, Lord, that wasn't your fault. It was mine. I want to serve. If I could get people to understand one thing in these last days is that we don't have any opportunity to just kick back. There just isn't any. And if you're burned out or if, if you've been taken advantage of, um, you know, again, can reconnect with Jesus. He'll give you all the strength and energy that you need. Um but but you got to serve. You you can't just be sitting around waiting for the Lord. It sounds spiritual, but it isn't spiritual at all, Dennis. So uh, you asked for my thoughts. Um, that's as direct as I can be. And Dennis, I'm actually excited for you because uh, I think when you say to the Lord, you know, Lord, I'm so sorry. You gave me these gifts. Your spirit, that infinite source of power lives within me. I'm sorry that I haven't been using this. The Apostle Paul says that because the days are short, we should redeem the time, making the most of every opportunity. And you're not doing that if you're just sitting around waiting. That is Christianese for being spiritually lazy. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Randall says, Pastor, what is your opinion about a pastor who runs for political office? Um, Randall, I have no no opposition to that at all. I think if a, a pastor in a church uh, is thinking about doing anything else, he ought to resign from the pastorate and then go do it. Um, um, I, I would love to know that I could vote for somebody who was a pastor who really understood the word and, and he was going to bring a Christian worldview into his politics. I would love that. And, and I think probably there's a lot of uh, people that God would, would call to do that. But I don't think people can do, nor should they do both. Uh, I, I actually have a friend who was uh, elected mayor of his city, and he ran uh, in Thousand Oaks, California. And he, he ran a political campaign, looked like he was going to lose, but lo and behold, he won. And he... Um, um, served faithfully for two years and then um, didn't rerun for election. Um, he wanted to um, 
get back into the ministry. And, and so that's what he's doing. There was also another young man in Texas. Now, he's not a good friend of mine, but I, I actually affiliated him as a uh, church here in South Texas. And um, he ran for political office and really believes, even to this day, it was what God wanted him to do. Uh, and it didn't work out so well for him. He didn't win. And um, he kind of sort of got pulled away from from his commitment to the Lord in the process. So he, his his uh, opinion right now would probably be stronger than mine. But I just don't think there's any room for crossover. Either you're a pastor or you're not. And if you're a pastor, not only is it the most important job you will ever have, it's the best job. Taking care of the people that, that Jesus loves, um, having the opportunity to be Jesus' ambassador, teaching the Word of God is really great. So uh, I think... Randall, if if uh, the pastor that you're speaking of is considering a run, I think his heart is no longer in the pastorate and he needs to go do that and then people like you and me can support him. Thank you for the question. Billy says, Pastor Ron, you say the rapture is going to happen before the Great Tribulation. I'm reading online where others say it will happen during or after. How can you be so sure God said we would have tribulation? Billy, you're right. God said we would have tribulation. But he didn't say we'd have great tribulation. And there's a big, big, big difference. Now, the difference is the great tribulation is God's wrath being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. Now, Billy, it sounds like you uh, listen to the Bible study I did last Friday. So uh, I'm going to give you some direction here. Um, uh, Go back to Genesis 18, where Jesus and Abraham are negotiating before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember, Billy, what Abraham said to Jesus? He said, far be it from you to destroy the righteous with the wicked. In other words, how you can't do that. I know who you are. Now remember, Abraham was God's friend. And so he said, you can't do this. Now, you, you know, that's dangerous talking to God. Jesus could have said, I'm God, I can do anything I want, but he didn't. Far be it from you to punish the righteous with the wicked. And then they started the negotiation and And, of course, we know how all that ended up. There wasn't even a few righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah to get saved. Just Lot and his daughters, even his sons-in-law and his wife were compromised. But Jesus didn't say, I can do anything I want. How will the righteous judge of all the earth do this wrong? And the answer is he can't. So I am sure, because if God punished us, if if we were left here on the earth for the Great Tribulation, Billy, if we were left here, how could we be the object of God's wrath? And make no mistake, the Great Tribulation, chapter 6, early, says the wrath of the Lamb has come. That's the beginning of the, of the, of the judgments the beginning of the judgment, and it's clearly defined in chapter 6 of Revelation as the wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb. How could he pour out his wrath on those of us who have been recipients of his righteousness? He can't do it. He can't do it at all. So 
Uh, Billy, that's, I am so sure because any doctrinal decision you make has to be consistent with the nature of God. And if Jesus would have said to Abraham, yeah, I can, I can do what I want. I'm God. And so what if you go through the Great Tribulation? So that's all. I mean, that ought to be the only necessary proof text. Now, there are lots of others, and I talked about them all on uh, the study Friday night. Any of you who are in the audience who aren't there, you can go to calvaryessay.com and listen to the study I did, and you can be set up for tuning in to this Friday's study as well. So, Billy, that's the answer. Thank you for the question. We are inside five minutes, and we've got a call-in question. Ron from Converse again. Thank you for your answer. I'm interested in visiting your church. What denomination are you? Ron, we're not denominational at all. Uh, we are a non-denominational church. And, and what really makes Calvary Chapel unique, and there are more people doing this now than there used to be, but uh, our emphasis isn't on uh, denomination. We don't have a set of... of um, um, Guidelines: You got to do this and you got to do that to belong to our church. We just teach the Bible and we let the Holy Spirit sort of move on people's hearts. So we are not a denomination. We are not denominational. Now, for some of you who come from uh, a denominational background, non-denomination, you means it's crazy and wild things happen. None of that's going to happen, Ron. What you're going to hear me do is teach the Bible verse by verse. This coming Sunday, I'm going to teach... Uh, on the proper use of tongues in the church because we happen to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It isn't a particularly compelling portion of Scripture, but it's stuff that we need to know, something that you probably wouldn't teach on unless you were going through the Bible verse by verse. So that's what we do. Uh, We teach the Bible. Uh, Where I left off last Sunday is where I'll pick up this Sunday. You'll love the worship. It is beautiful. It is orderly. Um, uh, you'll love the hearts of the people here, Ron. Uh, so um, you are more than welcome to join us, and you will be blessed. Just remember the very best part, the best, best, best part of our church is all of the people sitting in the chairs around you who love Jesus. So don't be shy. Um, engage, and you will be abundantly blessed. And if you happen to get here, uh, I'd love to put a name to the face a face to the name, so um, come up and introduce yourself to me um, before or after service. Thank you, Ron. Look forward to seeing you. Let me see if I got one time for one more question. Uh, here's Anonymous. You get two minutes. Is there any way to stop the terrible dreams I have often? It's frightening. Anonymous, I feel your pain. I have horrible dreams. The last two nights... Um, uh, have just been unbelievable, and I, I I have that kind of stuff most nights. So I guess that's me saying, no, there isn't a way to stop them. There is a way, however, to deal with them, and it's just a matter of before you go to bed, simply say, Jesus, I need you to protect my dreams. I, I always say, Lord, protect our, our, our my heart, protect our bodies physically, uh, protect me in my dreams and in my nightmares because it seems like I have nightmares a lot more than I have dreams. And you're right, it can be frightening and it's restless rather than restful. Um, and so I just have to do that. And when I really get shaken in my, my nightmares, Anonymous, what I do is I just I sit up, I remember, okay, Lord, that was just a dream. 
you have me and I'm okay. And typically I'm able to get back to sleep. But it's just a matter of prayer. If you are awakened and you can't get back to sleep, open your Bible. Turn on a light, go into another room, do something, open your Bible and, and read yourself to sleep. Uh, but there isn't any way to stop them. They, they, the source of them, we, we have these active minds, uh, but, but there's an enemy. Um, clearly, a lot of those terrible nightmares are demonic, and there's an enemy. He's going to keep trying to mess with you. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is we got to be tough because it's going to happen. Hey, thanks for tuning in again. We apologize for the beginning of the program today. Lord willing, I'll be here tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. AM 630, The Word. We hope you've enjoyed The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron. You can find out more about Pastor... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.